Advances in multiple myeloma therapy are tamping down the dreaded expectations of a vaunted disease. How are the latest treatment modalities presenting new avenues for cancer therapy? And how can we work to improve our awareness of the changing face of multiple myeloma? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and our guest today is Dr. James Berenson, president and CEO of the Institute for Myeloma and Bone Cancer Research in West Hollywood, California. Dr. Berenson has led extensive research on multiple myeloma. Welcome, Dr. Berenson. Thank you. Today we are discussing influences on improving prognoses for multiple myeloma. Dr. Berenson, what's the average survival rate in multiple myeloma? The average survival of myeloma has dramatically improved over the last decade. In the 90s, we were looking at about 30 months, and then in about 2003 to four years. The latest data from our own retrospective analysis is now nearly 10 years a dramatic improvement with the panoply of new drugs that have moved in the clinic since the turn of the new millennium. Can you give us some specifics on your particular research in terms of the demographics, duration of the study, the agents that are used? Yes, the new agents that have come into the clinic in the last 10 years started with thalidomide, that dreaded drug that caused the birth defects, turned out to be a home run to treat myeloma patients. It was followed up with a drug called Velcade or Bortizomid, which was basically a drug that turned off the degradation of particular proteins in the cell that actually stopped myeloma growth. And then there was a replacement or an analog of thalidomide called revlimid or lenalidomide that showed activity and is now widely used throughout the world. And also arsenic trioxide, although proved for leukemia, turned out also to be an active agent, particularly when used in combination with a variety of other agents. Now, how do you determine which of these agents, if not all of these agents, you use? Well, the use of particular agents is really based on a number of factors in each patient. First of all, the characteristics of the myeloma. This bone marrow-based cancer can often suppress the ability of the patient to make particularly red cells. They may be anemic. They also may develop kidney failure from either the loss of bone and resulting high calcium in the blood, which can affect kidney function, or the fact that the malignant plasma cell can make antibodies that clog up the kidney. In addition, often they develop bone loss and fractures as well as bone pain. That can also cause problems for the patient. Many patients also develop recurrent infections. They also may feel poorly from all of these things going on, as well as the fact that myeloma cells make a number of factors that cause the patient to have fatigue. We also take into account the patient's lifestyle and work style, as well as what other medical conditions may limit our ability to give therapy. For example, if they have heart failure, it precludes the use of adriamycin and doxel. If they have nerve problems, we may not want to use thalidomide, particularly if they have peripheral neuropathy, numbness, tingling. And if they have a history of diabetes, it may make the use of drugs like decadron, prednisone, or medrol, that is the steroids, more difficult because it will make it harder for them to control their blood sugar. Well, what regimen did you use to obtain that very high survival rate as compared to some years ago? Well, the beauty of this is there isn't just one treatment. These patients go through a series of different treatments that are very individualized. So I like to say, unlike pre-2000 when myeloma was a sprint and the race didn't last very long, today it's a marathon 
And as I like to say, we'd rather our patients run eight-minute miles and finish 26 than run five-minute miles and drop out at mile five. And I think we've done a lot of the latter, that is the sprint therapy up until recently. But as I like to say, before 2000 and in the 90s, really the credo was more therapy is better. And I think we've learned in the last few years, certainly in our clinic, more specific therapy is better. Not only more specific to target the cancer cell, which is our ultimate goal without affecting other healthy cells, but more specific based on the characteristics that the patient may have, again, not only with respect to other medical conditions they may have, but equally important, of course, is their life and work style. Is there a consensus among all centers in the United States for the specific treatment regimens for multiple myeloma? No, there's great disagreement today about what is the algorithm to treat myeloma. It was clear before we had all the new agents that in older folks it was generally light oral chemotherapy. In other younger patients, it tended to be more aggressive treatment, several months of conventional treatment with chemotherapy followed by transplantation of blood cells, blood stem cells specifically, after high doses of chemotherapy. You needed to replenish the marrow because the chemotherapy you gave would not only wipe out, if you will, the myeloma, but unfortunately normal marrow function, and so stem cells were required to replenish it. Are you finding conclusively that combination therapies for multiple myeloma have greater efficacy? Yes, there's now data, compelling data from a number of studies suggesting the combination therapies involving the new agents with the older agents is more active, not only in terms of response rate, not only in terms of how long the responses last, but just more impressive is the fact these patients are actually living longer when the new drugs are combined with the old drugs compared to the old drugs alone. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and with me today is Dr. James Berenson, President and CEO of the Institute for Myeloma and Bone Cancer Research in West Hollywood, California. We are discussing influences on improving prognoses for multiple myeloma. Dr. Berenson, I was reading about something that you discovered in your research, that being a protein called pleiotrophin. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, this is an exciting area of new research in the laboratory. And this protein was discovered in the early 90s by Tom Duell, and it's a protein that is involved in the development of brain tissue and other nerve tissue before birth. And also, it turns out, it's highly expressed in areas that are involved in angiogenesis, so-called new blood vessel development. And what we've demonstrated recently is this protein is highly produced by myeloma cells as well as by others it's been shown. It's been produced by a lot of different cancers. The exciting thing that we've learned is that tumor-produced pleiotrophin will actually take a type of white cell called a monocyte and turn it into a blood vessel. And when that actually a process occurs, it actually greatly accelerates the growth of tumor. So we've now shown in the laboratory that inhibiting this process, not only in the test tube, but actually in animals bearing human myeloma, stops myeloma growth. So indeed, the white cell becoming a blood vessel will be stopped simply by adding an antibody that blocks this protein pleiotrophin. This has profound implications for treatment of cancer, as we believe this is a very early step in the development of blood vessels that feed tumors, whereas some of the other treatments that are being used today to block so-called vascular endothelial growth factor, or VEGF, drugs like Invastin, affect the late process involved in blood vessel development. 
So we think this may be a wonderful drug to combine with drugs such as Avastin and perhaps chemotherapy as well, as has been done with Avastin and shown to be effective to treat a variety of different cancers today. Do you think that this will be extrapolated into human clinical research soon? Well, we sure hope so. I mean, at this point, there's no identified inhibitor specifically of pleotrophin. We're certainly trying to develop those presently. But as those become developed in the laboratory, we hope that they become tested within the clinical realm as well over the next several years. When we give these type of treatments to these patients, what kind of side effects do they have? We really don't know at all about pleiotrophin. What we're really excited about is this is a protein that really is not expressed hardly at all after birth. So we hope that inhibiting its function after birth will really have no deleterious effects on other normal tissues. The problem we have today is a lot of our treatments, although they may work in the test tube, in the luxury of a test tube that only harbors tumor cells, unfortunately, when they're given to a human being with all the different tissues, they may affect other tissues that we didn't really find in the lab because we never really weren't able to study those tissues. What tissues do they affect and what kind of side effects do we get from those other agents? Well, commonly the agents that have come into the clinic recently, such as thalidomide and Velcade, can have effects on the nervous system, either centrally like thalidomide making you sleepy or peripherally, as is true with both Velcade and thalidomide, where you can have numbness, tingling, even pain. And this can be actually impactful on quality of life. In addition, all of these drugs can have a negative impact on bone marrow function. After all, the plasma cells we all know is a bone marrow-derived cell. And unfortunately, all of these treatments have some unfortunate side effects on knocking out not only the myeloma bone marrow-based cell, but all of the healthy bone marrow cells as well. Do you find any leveling off of the efficacy after a certain duration of treatment? Well, certainly over time, patients may become resistant to these drugs. The beauty is some of these newer agents have a mechanism by which they might not necessarily only directly kill the myeloma, but may set up the myeloma cell so that it may be sensitive to chemotherapy. Prime example of that is Velcade, which we in the laboratory first and then the clinic showed the very low doses of Velcade that had less side effects, for example, less neuropathy and less significant neuropathy. Those drugs, when combined at the low dose with low doses of chemo, were highly effective. And the reason was is because chemotherapy was able to be more effective at low dose because Velcade knocked out the resistance mechanism that didn't allow chemotherapy to work. So that's the beauty of synergizing two drugs together that may alone at certain doses not work. Together they might work beautifully, and at those lower doses may be much better tolerated, which is a huge win for the patient. Is there any research going on determining which patients may be predisposed to multiple myeloma? Yeah, there have been a number of epidemiological studies to look at causes. The conclusions have been not very clear at this point. People have invoked infectious agents, viruses. Other people have invoked certain occupations, and there certainly have been higher risks in family members who have had myeloma or related diseases. Now, do other institutions in the United States know of your data in terms of your survival of patients? Most of the institutions know about our survival data now. It was recently in the abstracts at the American Society of Hematology meeting in December. And their comments? Well, you know, always people want to know how you did it. 
Is it because you treat higher-end patients, patients who have better quality of life to begin with? You know, people always argue those kind of points. I think it's our ability to individualize therapy, offer patients options that are not given in other clinics. There's, I like to say, a smorgasbord of new opportunities today, to quote my president of my daughter's school. I, I think that these are, he was speaking about education, I'm talking about cancer treatment, but the bottom line is more chances for patients to respond. And the beauty is these are treatments that are kinder and gentler. They're not necessarily ones that impact quality of life in an irreversible way for the patient. So it allows them to walk through many options on this path with their myeloma. That wasn't true before. Unfortunately, we used to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. We now realize this is more of a chronic disease akin to arthritis or diabetes. I want to thank our guest, Dr. James Berenson. We've been discussing influences on improving prognoses for multiple myeloma. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.